Welcome to Don't Trust the Mirror, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder, with psychoanalyst Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. Maureen shares her personal journey of her struggles with an eating disorder and how that changed her life. Listen as Maureen shares her pain, her stories, and her triumphs. Today, as a psychoanalyst, her mission is to help as many women as possible overcome their challenges. Now, my secret life with an eating disorder. Hi, this is Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. Welcome to my podcast, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder. I have a very close friend and colleague with me today who I'm very honored that she accepted uh, to be a guest on my podcast to talk about anxiety. Hi, Mary. Welcome. Hi, Maureen. Thank you so much for having me. You are very welcome. I am excited to talk with you. And I'm just going to give a little bit of an introduction because you have amazing credentials. Oh, boy. I'm in trouble. (laughs) Very impressive. Um, Mary Mastria is a psychotherapist in Summit, New Jersey. She's been practicing for over 25 years in the treatment of relationship issues, body image, eating disorders, mood disorders, and trauma. She serves as an adjunct assistant professor at New York University, where she developed and teaches a curriculum on the areas of anxiety, trauma, having a psychotherapy practice, and eating disorder treatment. She also has advanced training and a doctorate in clinical social work and a New Jersey certification in child sexual abuse treatment. Mary has also published numerous articles on eating disorders. So Mary, you are amazing. And today we are here to talk about anxiety. And you recently taught a course on anxiety. You and I talk a lot about our practices and patients and different things we come up with. And anxiety is a huge, huge issue. It's a huge issue with eating disorders. And it's also just, I think, prevalent across the spectrum for everybody has has bits of anxiety, um, some more, some less. I was wondering if you could, we could just start our conversation where you could just give a definition of anxiety, because I think that people hear the word anxiety and it's almost like immune to it. Like what is anxiety? Because, because we hear it so often and it's pretty unclear, like what's anxiety, what's stress, what's panic, uh, depression. So if you could just start giving a, a definition of anxiety, that would be great. Sure, Maureen. You know, I like to, um, when I, you know, people ask me all the time, how would you define anxiety, right? And the best way is, I feel, looking at the four components of anxiety. And what I mean when I say four components, there's four areas of a person's um, functioning that gets affected when we experience anxiety. Okay, so the first component would be our thoughts, right? And you're shaking your head. And I think anyone who experienced anxiety can relate to this, right? The thoughts and worries that usually take the form of what if questions, right? What if something bad happens, right? What if I fail? What if I embarrass myself, right? That's a component of anxiety. And then there's our emotions, 
Right. This, I, if I could just um, interrupt for a second, because so, part of all these what if questions are all questions that are unknown. Yes. And that's so another unknown. thing. I cannot tolerate not knowing. And sometimes we think this consciously or even feel it unconsciously. And I think we can all relate to that in terms of this pandemic, right? This sort of like unknown what's going to happen when it's going to end, you know, even if we couldn't articulate it. Yes, absolutely. Um, And then there's the emotional component of anxiety, what we are feeling, right? Worry dread, panic, terror, nervousness, all those feelings that I think many of us can relate to, you know, on some level when we've experienced anxiety. And then there's the behavioral component of anxiety, okay? What we do or don't do when we are anxious or feeling anxious, okay? Um, Avoidance or avoiding... Yes, avoidant behavior is very common. It's a very common response to anxiety. And what I mean by that is that, of course, when something is making us anxious, we want to avoid it, okay? But it can become problematic and interfere in our lives. For example, let's say someone's feeling anxiety socially. So what they may do is they will avoid social situations and then they become or feel isolated. And it might also cause more anxiety, right? And also depression too. I mean, it can really like snowball into a lot of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then finally is the physical component, you know, um, how we experience or sense anxiety in our bodies. Okay. Chest pain, stomach pain, muscle tension, headaches. And I think all of these components are, we all, we feel it, you know, and experience it when in us experiencing anxiety. Right. Can you just give the four components again? Just absolutely. Uh, so we can recap just what they, what the four of them are. Cause I think it's really, really important. And it encompasses so much of, um, of how anxiety manifests itself. Right. And it really goes together, right? It goes along together and we may not even realize it. So the first component, you know, is our thoughts right? What we think, okay? The second is our feelings, what we feel, okay? The third is our behaviors, what we do or don't do when we are feeling anxious. And then finally is our physical sensation and the physical experience within your body. And many times people don't even realize, you know, that, Oh, what I'm feeling, oh, my chest pain may be related to anxiety or my headaches may be due to the anxiety I'm experiencing. You know, I always tell the people I work with, and I know you do as well, Mm -hmm. that if you are having pains, if you are having symptoms, we don't want to assume, you know, I have clients who say, oh, I know it's anxiety. Well, go to the medical doctor, let the medical expert rule out a medical component. And once that's been rolled out, then we do need to really be conscious and more in touch with how anxiety is connected in our bodies. And and I think you're right. These components are so important because sometimes we're not even aware of how it manifests and interferes with our functioning in these ways. 
And I think if you're somebody that grew up with a lot of anxiety, it becomes really familiar and it becomes just embedded. So it's almost like you don't know different, really. Um, you just know the anxiety. And I, um, I'm, I've become much more aware recently, and I think probably since the pandemic too, of just that I may not even realize I have anxiety or patients may not realize it, but you feel something in your body. So to really pay attention, um, you know, whether it's like a knot in your stomach, whether it's like all of a sudden you realize you're not even breathing or um, just the ways that your body can really let you know that you're anxious. And, and also it, I think it, it's on a scale too. It's a range of anxiety. So sometimes it passes quickly and sometimes it's, it's like long-term and it can cause a lot, a lot of issues. Right. Absolutely, Maureen. And, you know, two good points you made there that, you know, it's I think, you know, uh, insight or consciousness, our awareness is the first step to change something. So if we're not even aware of it, how are we going to even, you know, work with it? So that is really important to really be in touch with, you know, our body and our bodily sensations and what it may be about. Um, and then also that you said that anxiety is sort of, you know, expected. And that's actually one of the re reasons that the research shows why people don't get treatment for anxiety. They think it's a way of life or it's normal. It's like it's a normalized. normal. You know, I, I've had so many clients through the years who have said to me, you know, once they're in treatment and working through and feeling better, even will say to me, boy, I never even knew how anxious I was when I was a teenager or boy, I was a really anxious child or a young adult. And, you know, it's sort of like expected and, and maybe even revered to be like type A, right? Right, right. Like that is in our culture. I think that's looked at as a positive. Well, and I think that a little bit of anxiety can be helpful. It can motivate us and it can kind of let us know, like we need to get going with something or we need to deal with something on a smaller scale. And then it can be on a larger scale, like we were saying, where it feels like it starts to interfere in our functioning. Now, you and I work a lot with people with disordered eating, eating disorders, all kinds of body image issues. And we see how anxiety really manifests to increase the eating disorder symptoms and body image symptoms. And I can say that when I developed my eating disorder, I had no idea, no idea about my anxiety. And I just knew that I tried to find something I could control. That's right. Which was my weight. So I thought if I control my calories, if I control my weight, then it would control my anxiety. Now this wasn't conscious at all, of course. but looking back, I can really understand anxiety a lot of like OCD kinds of symptoms are also anxiety related, which is a whole nother topic that we That's could talk right. about. <laughs> That's a whole but, other podcast. Um, right, right. But anxiety plays such a role in, in our work with our with patients with eating disorders and, and body image issues. Absolutely, Maureen. And I think you're right. The two are very, very connected. I think some studies suggest that approximately even 50% of people who have eating disorders will also have an anxiety disorder or experience anxiety. And, you know, to your point, anxiety makes us feel out of control. Absolutely. No one 
likes to feel that way. Okay. We hate that feeling. We want to control our lives. We want to control everything if we can, which of course, especially in in our world recently when there's been so much that we haven't been in control of. Exactly. And, you know, using um, eating disorders behaviors, like you said, is an attempt at controlling, at feeling, having a sense of control, restricting. Okay. Um, even weighing oneself constantly or binging to sort of quell or soothe anxious feelings. The problem is, is that it gives people a false sense of control, right? And these behaviors, yeah, as we know, become problematic in themselves and they're short-lived. And that's why, you know, it's really important for us, you know, to really you know, when we're conscious of anxiety and, 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 you know, that may be like a manifest feeling, but really understand all the feelings that go into it, like maybe anger or sadness, you know, um, sometimes it's, you know, even more comfortable to just experience anxiety than it is to be mad at someone you love, right? Or someone you even need or to feel sad, right? And so, you know, to your point, you know, these behaviors or, you know, uh, you know, even dwelling on what our weight is or what our body looks like, these are in terms when there's that anxiety component, they're avoidant behaviors. Right. And I want to just go back to some an anxiety that you mentioned, which I think, again, we see a tremendous amount. I see it in uh, my personal life. I see it certainly in my practice, which is the social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think the social anxiety is also tied in so much with Mm self-esteem. And it's that sense that we see it when people start avoiding going out, they start restricting their food, they limit, you know, to go out to a restaurant or order in or go someplace different out of their schedule for a person who has an eating disorder is a nightmare. It involves so much preparation, so much thinking, so much anxiety about the unknown. What is the food going to do? How is it going to affect me? Am I going to gain weight? What are people going to think about what I'm eating? How, how do I eat in front of people? What kind of conversation do I have? I'm not interesting. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. It, the list goes on and on of all the anxieties. Right, right. And, and you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking of how our brain functions And what that does, you know, in terms of anxiety and how it spirals, right? All these thoughts and feelings, it it, it sort of spirals, you know, in terms of our anxiety. And, you know, um, I can certainly talk a little bit about how our brain functions when it comes to it might be, might be helpful. You know, it was a good segue when you were talking, because that's exactly what you described is what we experience, right? To varying degrees. And some people experience to the point where it's really impairing their daily functioning, right? They start limiting their functioning. Absolutely. They can't go to work or they can't even complete, you know, uh, daily chores or tasks. You know, I've had clients, you know, who their worrisome thoughts um, will interfere with their ability to be present with their children or to play with their children or or to complete work projects. So, yes, focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
in terms of the way our brain functions when we experience anxiety. And, you know, just as an aside, neuroscience, you know, has made a lot of advances in this area in helping us understand the manifestations of anxiety. And it's really made a lot of advances in the past 10, 15 years. And let me just say, I am so far away from being a neuroscientist, but what I can tell you is that anxiety is typically initiated by two areas or two pathways of our brain, and that's our cortex and the amygdala. Okay. And what I like to say to make it really relatable is that the cortex is the thinking part of our brain and the amygdala is the feeling part of our brain. Okay. So thoughts originating in our cortex of our brain have the effect to increase or decrease anxiety. And this is really important because what we say to ourselves what we think will matter okay so it's, an, find, it's almost like the narrative that we tell ourselves so we kind of start making up in our mind of what will happen absolutely so i find people when they're experiencing anxiety or having an anxiety or have an anxiety disorder can be so punitive with themselves right you know i even have to catch myself you know if i'm feeling a why are you feeling anxious why should you this is not a big big deal really harsh narratives you know harsh things we tell ourselves okay but this is going to matter and that's why you know sort of thinking or positive affirmations, being kind to oneself, saying kind things and calming things will matter. This is why, because telling ourselves we're going to be fine, or it's normal to experience anxiety when you try something new or when you're going through a, that will matter. But that's not the only part. It's also the amygdala. And the amygdala is responsible for our flight, fight, freeze response, right? Right, exactly. And this basically is designed. It's like a panicky feeling. Yes, it is designed to recognize stress responses, right? So people with anxiety, okay, will ready themselves for danger even when it's not there. So that amygdala, that fight, flight, freeze, stress response is on high alert and it's constantly up here and it's exhausting. And this explains why people with anxiety will feel exhausted or feel fatigued or even tired. I know when, you know, if I'm going through a very stressful or a high anxiety period, oh, my body is because that high alert, that fight, flight, freeze response is working overtime. You know, our body is like tense. It's stressed. It's like we're not breathing. Yeah. It takes a lot of, a lot of energy to keep it going. This is also can be protective, right? So it can be protective in the sense that it will help prepare us or protect us in terms of like if something is an imminent danger. For example, 
thankfully, we don't think about hitting the brakes in our car. If a car is about to crash into us, right? We just hit the brakes. <laughs> so it can be very Not protective, enough. right? As well. Okay. Um, you know, maybe your listeners might be interested. There's a really good book called Rewire Your Anxious Brain. Okay. And it really speaks to like the neuroscience of anxiety. But what I like about it is that it's very relatable in understanding these, the way our brain functions, but it it provides very practical tools in terms of reducing anxiety that gear toward our cortex, the thinking, and right. then also calm down the amygdala. So it might be a nice, uh, you know, if someone is interested in learning more, seeing how this applies in their lives, um, I would highly recommend that book. And they might even have a workbook. I think one of the authors is Pittman. There might even be a workbook. Can you just say the name of the book again, Mary? Sure. It's Rewire your anxious brain. And it's not, it it talks about the neuroscience, but please don't let that scare you. Or, you know, I know for myself, I was like, oh boy, it's a very relatable book. And I think many people, and I've, you know, shared it with clients and we've talked about it and it really helps them understand the way anxiety can manifest for them and then what they can do, you know, um, to cope with it. You know, I want to, I want to give an example of a, of a, recent um, conversation I had with a patient, which is exactly what part of what you're talking about. And then I also want to ask you what tips and suggestions you might have for my listeners on dealing with the anxiety. I had a a call recently from uh, from a patient who had really um, had, it was going through a very stressful time. And her um, binging and purging was really escalating. And it was a particular day. It was felt like really, really awful. And she reached out because she was feeling so bad about herself and hated herself and just so critical about feeling like she'd been doing so well. What happened? How could this happen? Oh my God, is this going to continue to happen? Like, you know, what's going to happen over the holidays? What's going to happen if she goes away? Like spiraling, right? Right. And you, and you hear the what ifs, right? You're yeah, hearing the what yeah, ifs. Yeah. All this unknown and, and just, um, just going into a panic and, and so mad, but, and yet she felt like she couldn't control it and didn't understand why she couldn't control it. And so it became this whole spiral of like self-hatred criticism being really mean to herself. And so we were able to talk about it in terms of understanding what happened you know, she was in a really stressful time. Um, there were a lot of things coming up, a lot of transitions that were coming up for her. And also to be able to, to know that just because it happened this once doesn't mean that it's going to continue, you know, that she'd been doing such a good job in, in really being able to control and use a lot of strategies for herself. And so she could get back on track and also to be able to say to her to just be kind to herself about it and not be so critical. And it was amazing. And I'm not saying it's always this easy, but when I said that, she just was, thank you. Thank you for giving me permission for that. That's right. That's right. And sometimes it's somebody just being able to say, it will be okay. You'll be okay. Right. And and that's such a beautiful example of how, you know, when we're talking about the thinking and how that just increases mm -hmm. our anxiety. And, you know, many times I think, you know, society, 
families we come from, you know, um, whether we have or don't have social support in our life, we get the messages that, well, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What, why are you feeling like, what's the big deal? You know, you just I, get I over it. Just get over it. You know, I, I have clients who, you know, will tell, you know, stories of feeling scared, which was so normal and even healthy and being you know, sort of chastised for it, you know? So of course, what do we do? We then do that to ourselves. If we're getting messages all along that there's something wrong, I I thought your example was beautiful and that your client was able to take in the the normalization and the reality that anxiety is okay. And it doesn't mean you're going to have this response always you know i i it was someone said to me recently it's not what if it's even if or something along those lines <laughs> you know it, right that's right that's right yeah. yeah well do you have some tips for people i know that that you and i i'm going to just give a little bit of a hint which is that you and i talk a lot about the importance of breathing and it sounds so simple what's the big deal about breathing oh. but we always have our breath with us and so I didn't know if you could could share a little bit about about breathing. Yeah, you know, and, and let me just say, like in terms of tips. Okay, first of all, the good news: anxiety feels so bad, but the good news is that it is highly treatable. It really is. So I have lots of tips, but yes, breathing. Oh, Maureen, I felt like taking a nice deep breath even when you sit there. Right? We're both yeah. breathing now, <laughs> right? Um, breathing is so crucial and so important um, for many reasons, but it's the one skill that we all possess as human beings, right? And it is a skill, you know, of course we do it naturally, we need it, okay? Um, I hear this all the time and I've certainly experienced it. We forget to breathe. When we don't we, even know it. We don't even know we forget. Don't even. A client recently said to me, I realized she's getting herself into a panic. I, I realized I was holding my breath. And then I started breathing and I felt better. Anxiety didn't go away. That's okay. But it dissipated. We hold our breaths and that's that sort of readying ourselves for danger. Okay. Or people will breathe more rapidly when they are anxious. So breathing is so important. What I like to say to people, and it is a skill to breathe calmly, slowly, with intention, okay? And it does take practice. Um, Studies suggest that it's really, even if you take three breaths and it's three. The first breath isn't going to do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So three deep breaths, inhaling through your nose, exhaling through your mouth will help calm us down. It will activate that parasympathetic, that calming resting phase of our nervous system. It begins to regulate after the third breath. So that is so important. And what I would suggest to your listeners is practice breathing, even like inhaling, exhaling three deep breaths, practice breathing when you are in a calm state. I mean, it can practice it. Well, and it can even be like standing in a grocery store line, being on hold on a, in your, on your phone, in your car, like 
Yes. I mean, how long does it take? Right. That those are great examples, right? It can be anywhere. And if you practice what I find, if you practice breathing in a calming state, when your anxiety is activated, okay, you can access that, that breath will work faster (laughs) to bring down and help you regulate because you've had practice. Okay. You know, I, I would also recommend to your listeners that there's so many different types of breathing. You know, I I like to even start with those three inhale, exhale breaths, but if they want to, there's so many suggestions on YouTube. And, And I tell my clients this all the time, go with what works best for you. Okay. Some people like belly breathing. Some people like box breathing. I know for myself, I've been belly breathing or sometimes known as diaphragmatic breathing for over 25 years. And basically what that is, is again, when you're inhaling through your nose, you're actually pushing out and filling your belly, your abdomen with air, which gives you a deeper and slower inhale and exhale. So you're giving your body more air and it can just be really uh, help you regulate and calm down that stress response. Well, even as you're talking, I'm aware of my breathing and I know that also a lot of um, meditations, if people are interested in meditation, a lot of apps, YouTube, there's certainly many, many resources uh, to learn more about breathing. Absolutely. And also to calm anxiety as well. Right. It, well, my meditation, I, I try to meditate, you know, daily. It doesn't always work, you know, right, but I, I did meditate this morning and my meditation was, you know, basically, you know, belly breathing. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I can do this, you know, just really 10 minutes where you're just inhaling and exhaling deeply. Right. And even it doesn't even have to be 10. It can even oh, be like wow. two minutes. So, yeah, no, I've been meditating. It's like, oh my God, I don't even have 10 minutes. No, no, no. Meditating is cumulative. So is breathing. So you build up. I started meditating literally five minutes and it's been a year and I'm up to, you know, 10, maybe 15 minutes. Right, right. Depending on the day. Right, exactly. Right. Another tip I would say, and I know you're a fan of this, Maureen, and so am I, is journaling. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes. Well, Yes, that's how that's journaling is part of what saved my life, right? Is is when I, you know, I, when I talk about it, it's how I started my podcast is is because I kept my journals from way back when when I had nobody to talk to. That's right. That's right. I I've also been journaling on and off for maybe there I started in my teens, so it's you know forty years. Um, journaling is a way to to release the anxiety. It's a way to get the anxiety out of your mind and out of your body and put it out on paper. It is a very, it's very cathartic. The other thing about journaling um, when it comes to anxiety is, you know, I think we, we all know that when we're feeling anxious, our thoughts, our feelings, our bodily sensations can be all jumbled. We're not even sure what it is, what's going on. And that's where journaling can come in. It can provide clarity on what is bothering us? What is really causing us stress? What is adding to my anxiety? Is it sadness? Is it anger? And gets to maybe some of the sources of our anxiety that we may not have been aware of. So journaling can provide a release and it can be provide clarity in what is going on for us. Right. And I, I would also say journaling doesn't always have to be 
writing. It could be poetry. It could just be words. It could be some kind of art for yourself. So to come up with your own version of journaling. And also, I mean, I know sometimes I go through periods where I feel like I don't want to write. I can't, I don't know what I'd say. I can't put my thoughts together, my feelings together. And sometimes I'll just sit down and be like, whatever comes. Or I also talk about having a prompt for myself. It's almost mm. like, like a title of a chapter. I think like, what would the title of this chapter be? And sort of just coming up with a word. And sometimes I write and I don't even know what's going to come out of it. Right. And or where it's I'm going. Amazed, right. And it just... I, I find some pretty interesting insights and, and gems that, that come out of it. And don't you usually feel better at the end I do. of it? I do. I do. Yeah. And I feel like there's, even if it's not a lot of clarity, it's like right. be a little bit of clarity at least. <laughs> well, so, it, got, so it's a good start and it sort of opens things up a bit. Absolutely. And at the very least it's a release it's on paper you know like okay let the paper hold it for a little bit i'm gonna i'm gonna take a break you know um absolutely and and i encourage people like you said to writing is just so powerful you know i've even had clients where i say to them just you know if you're on your computer or you're on your phone i mean i prefer the pen and the paper the good old-fashioned way you know um but even just write some notes down in your notes section of your phone or in your computer like whatever comes to mind just put it on paper. Yeah. yeah. And what would be one final tip for our listeners? Okay. Um, so I guess um, I would say something maybe your listeners haven't heard of is grounding techniques. Okay. Great. Grounding techniques, connecting with your senses. And I'll go through one of the techniques, but connecting physically with our bodies is a form of self-care. Okay. But when we are anxious, that's the thing we like do the opposite of, right? So grounding techniques and one technique I really like, and you know, clients who have panic disorder, who I work with use this successfully. It's called the five, four, three, two, one technique. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's a grounding technique that again, we can all do. We all have, and it's a way of connecting physically and connecting with our senses. So basically five. Okay. You should already five, five things you can see and whatever it is. And like you said, you could be in the grocery store. You could be sitting in your cubicle at work, you know, five things you see and you name those five things. Okay. You just name them out loud if you can, or to yourself. And then four things you can touch. It could be your hair. It mm-hmm. could be your face. It could be the computer in front of you. Okay. You see where I'm going with this. Right, right. Anything that's there. Absolutely. Right. Paper. My glasses. Yeah. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes even I find touching the body, it can be so powerful. And like I said, is a form of self-care. If that feels right to you. Right. right? right. It doesn't always Um, feel right for everybody, but whatever feels, feels right. Absolutely. And then the third thing would be name three things you can hear. Okay. If you're walking outside, the birds chirping, or even if you're in your home or your apartment, the heat going on or the humming, uh, from, you know, something outside or something in your office. Okay. And then finally, well, not, you know, almost uh, two mm-hmm. things you can smell, you know, your, your perfume, you know, your, your deodorant, the shampoo and your hair, so- you know. You're so right. Soap or lotion. Mm-hmm. Right. And then one would be um, uh, taste, right? 
the saltiness from your lips or, or your, you know, the mint from your toothpaste. Okay. And these, it doesn't have to be food necessarily, but it's just going to be other things. Absolutely. You know, these five things and you could go through my clients go through them five, four, three, two, one. And it's a way of connecting with all of our senses and really grounding ourselves when that anxiety takes over. And I'm just going to, offer one more quick tip and just to say that, you know, the other thing I would just implore people that if you find that anxiety is interfering with your life and you're not functioning the way you want, if it's interfering with work or your relationships or socially, seek help. Talk to someone about your anxiety so you could live the life you want to live you up a bit. And also we didn't really talk about this, but it's worth mentioning, which is medication can also be helpful and certainly seeking out a physician, um, whether it's your, your, your uh, internist, whether it's a psychiatrist, but a physician and um, a medication can also make a huge difference and to have a conversation with your medical provider about that and, and to seek help through a therapist. Um, Absolutely. Really, really helpful and important. Um, and medication, Maureen, you're right, is, you know, especially if you're working with a therapist and you're working on anxiety reduction techniques and, it, and you're still in distress or it's still interfering with your functioning, then it may be time to consider an additional treatment option, which would be medication. And medication can also help us manage some of the biochemical shifts that take place. And absolutely, if you can, I would recommend seeking out a counsel with a psychiatrist because they're really the medical experts when it comes to anxiety medication. But if you can't, then speak to your medical doctor, to speak to your PCP. They also know about that. That's a really good point. That's also very good advice. Yeah. The final thing that I will mention is, and, and you covered it in the senses too, is um, get out in nature. I know you mentioned taking a walk and I find that there's something about being outside, no matter what the weather is, I can just breathe easier. And just to be able to look at the sky, like you said, hear the birds. Sometimes I pick up a twig at the ocean. I pick up shells just to listen to nature can be so calming. And obviously everybody has to have their thing, you know, and sometimes that works for some people, sometimes it doesn't. But whatever your favorite places to walk, to go to, um, I think can be really, really helpful. Right. And, and really what you're saying, Maureen, and, and I'm so glad you're saying this is move your body. Yes. Just move your body, you know, get that anxiety, you know, help it go through your system. You know, taking a walk can be so healing in terms of just just lessening, regulating that, you know, that, that autonomic nervous system. So absolutely. And it's soothing to be in nature or it's soothing. It's, it's like, again, when we connect physically, it's really a form of self-care. And when we engage our bodies, it is as well. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. You You gave wonderful tips and resources and definitions and, and uh, it was really helpful learning more about anxiety from you and all different aspects of it. 
as a great friend and a very well-respected and wonderful colleague. I really, really enjoyed having you. Well, Maureen, you know, I admire you and it's just been an, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, and especially now on this wonderful broadcast and the wonderful work you are doing. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my secret life with an eating disorder. Please follow it on whatever social media platform you like to look at, watch, get on your phone or your computer. And also, please, please let me know if there's other topics that you're interested in, how you liked this podcast on anxiety. I would love to hear from you. And remember, trust yourself. Don't trust the mirror. Thank you for listening to Don't Trust the Mirror, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder with psychoanalyst Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. We hope you enjoyed it. Please visit DontTrustTheMirror.com where you'll find all our social networking links and can post your stories, comments, and questions. Until next time, remember, trust yourself. Don't trust the mirror.